and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Trini London, Trini Woodall. Whether you're familiar with Trini Woodall's work as a fashion columnist, host of one of television's many iterations of Trini and Susanna, or as the founder of beauty brand Trini London, there's one constant. Trini genuinely wants to make women feel amazing. Trini's media career began in 1994 after she was introduced to the woman who would become her best friend and collaborator, Susanna Constantine. The pair began writing their Daily Telegraph column, ready to wear soon thereafter, with the column growing to become a business, a book and, in 2001, a TV show, BBC's What Not To Wear. Trini and Susanna's mission was simple, to make women feel their best. Trini describes the feeling of making women feel good about themselves as her food, telling me that a woman should always feel utterly present and recognised. It was that mission that saw Trini develop and launch Trini London in 2017. In the same way that she worked to make fashion less intimidating to women around the world, Trini now works to ensure that women understand that beauty is quite literally for everyone. What I took away from this interview was how genuinely and contagiously passionate Trini is about ensuring that women never feel invisible. I'd seen the positive impact of her work online in the form of her Trini tribe, the community of women who follow, interact with and are inspired by her daily. But to experience that energy in the flesh was something different entirely and something I'm very grateful for. I caught up with Trini during her most recent trip to Australia to discuss why she finds fashion shows deeply unsatisfying, the link between fashion, beauty and confidence, and how women can and should find the courage to put their big ideas out on the table. I start every interview in the same way. What is your very first memory of beauty? Oh, Lord and Taylor, 1978, so I was 15, 14, half 15, and Clinique had just launched, and I had very bad acne, and I went in, and there was what to me then was this mesmerizing kind of nearly a computer, it was a sliding thing to work out where you Clinique one, two, or three, or four. Mm-hmm. And they had the clarifying toner, you know, the one that has the salicylic acid yes. in it. And they had the bar of soap, and they had the dramatically different moisturizer. And it was mm-hmm. the first time I bought a skincare regime, and I saved all my holiday money for that moment. I love it. God, so you've been in very invested in beauty. For I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> you have the skin of a child, bride. I wouldn't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. I understand that you worked in marketing, PR, and even as a commodity broker. I did many years before, yes. Yes, so something like 10 years before you began writing the Ready to Wear column. I want to rewind even further. Yeah. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I went through different phases. When I was really young, before insecurities of teenagerdom took over, my dad said you could be a prime minister. You know, I was very, I was very sort of, I went from shy to articulate to unconfident in the space of sort of 14 to 21. It's funny how teen years can do that. So much. I mean, it's a lie. I remember at 22 feeling I'd, I'd lived a lifetime already. Mm-hmm. And now I feel a baby. Ah. Yeah. Those very early jobs, 
Was there anything career-wise that you learned during that period that you find mm. you're still applying to your work today? Absolutely nothing. There I you mean, go. I, what was interesting is when I was at, I went to school very early. I went at six and a half to a boarding school because mm-hmm. my parents travelled a lot, and I would always be the one because I lived abroad and I went back to a very parochial British school. Sure. I would always bring Benetton. I mean, this was like yes. things, great stationery and little sort of things. Mm-hmm. And I would make over my girlfriends. So that ah. was my passion. And then all the way through jobs that I did with that sense, this has got to be my career, falling into something. Mm-hmm. I gave me no enjoyment, so I really learned nothing from. I learned what I didn't want to do. Which I think is a yeah. huge lesson, mm. I think. But then I'd yeah. always go home in the evening and I'd have girlfriends around and the first thing they'd do is come in my bathroom and check out my skincare or my makeup ah. and look in my cupboard and see the latest cheap clothing that I try to make look expensive. Well, it's a creative outlet then, isn't it? Yeah. If you hate your day job and then you come home and you're like, well, this is fun. Exactly. You've got to have something yeah. like that. It was in 1994 that you met Susanna and one of the most iconic fashion partnerships of all time was born. Talk me through that initial meeting and what drew the two of you to each other. Well, we had a mutual friend, um, David Lindley, who she was going out with at the time. And uh, we sort of met and another friend of ours had said, you know, we met then actually, but we were sort of like cats in a street, not not knowing oh, who liked each other, yes. it was that kind of thing. Yeah. And then a couple of few years later, we met again because our mutual other friend, Victoria, said, you two are kind of at a crossroads in your career, you should meet. Mm. So I met and I said to Susanna, I felt there was a lack of something out there for women because at the time there wasn't enough what I call high street fashion. Yeah. It was very expensive or it was M&S. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't an ability to kind of do your own thing. So I said, I want to write a column of what's there right now and you can buy it the next day mm-hmm. and so she called me up the next day and she said can I steal your idea and I went you so can't but we can how do it very together. dare you <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we end up having what not to wear in the Daily Telegraph for seven years as a column that you did now you've obviously prior to that had an interest in fashion and a flair for styling but did officially for lack of a better word did officially working in the fashion industry change your relationship with fashion at all I think in a way, I never felt, Gemma, that I worked in the fashion industry mm-hmm. because I was always, you know, if we ever did fashion shows, which I hated doing anyway. Um, Why is that? Because I feel I've always liked to see what's available for a woman now. And yeah. it's very daunting to think what's going to be in season next February mm-hmm. when you're in winter clothing and they're going to show summer. You know, it, yeah. just, it doesn't sit and it doesn't satisfy a woman immediately. And I want mm-hmm. to have instant gratification. So yes. I wasn't, you know, I would sit opposite the press and they'd all be like oh it's Trini and Susanna you know the people who are kind of you know I'd write like in our column I would write a letter to Karl Lagerfeld saying how can you charge a thousand pounds for a plastic brooch you know yeah so we were always like there's a safety pin now yeah exactly (laughs) so it's like it was always slightly contrary and I felt I think the fashion industry is an intimidating animal Mm -hmm. and I always didn't like cliques in my life and I think it's a very you know, it's an amazing life if you're right in it. But I kind of am so much more into what the real woman's looking for. Mm-hmm. So mu- It gives me so much more satisfaction yeah. to make a, a, a normal woman in the street feel good about herself. Well, that's really what you've built a career on doing. Because as I'm sure most are aware, that column became a business, a book. And in 2001, a TV show. Yeah. BBC's Not What To Wear. Yeah. What do you think it is about yourself Susanna and your approach to styling that sh- 
you know, resonated with so many people across the world. I think at the time there was the clothes show a few years before, which was kind of lots of different presenters mm-hmm. um, showing different things. But there wasn't anyone who was taking a woman and allowing her to look at herself through the eyes of somebody who, we always had this tagline, we're not your best friend, so we'll tell you what's really going on. And even though at the time, you know, press would write the toughest duo and things like that, I remember that um, about three years into doing the show, one of the tabloids did a sort of call out saying, if you had a terrible experience with Trini Zanuck, because they wanted some dirt. And they couldn't find one contributor to say oh it was horrible and that reinforced to me that it was the women and they were finding a new way so they just women at different stages Mm. come up against a brick wall yeah and they're not the necessary obvious stages like a sort of menopausal woman yeah you can come up a brick wall when you've been the sort of center of your classroom and then you go up for your first job and suddenly it's tremendously intimidating Mm -hmm. and you have to kind of reset yourself and think who am i now yeah. Then when you, you know, decide you're kind of meeting the man of your dreams and you want to get married if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. then maybe when you're a first-time mum and suddenly your priorities change, then going back to work, if you go back to work as a, as a mum, really tough because your body's changed, your confidence is slightly gone perhaps because your, your, your kind of co, um, cohorts in your career have not maybe had kids at the same time. You mm-hmm. come back in and then you feel, okay, what can I bring to the table and... Then when you reach menopause, I think a lot of women, they feel their bodies change, their skin changes. They lose that sense of who they were. And then an area I love working in, which is women in their 60s and 70s, and I've made over lots of women like that, Mm -hmm. who felt they were becoming invisible. And it's a real thing for a woman to feel she might be invisible. And I think Mm -hmm. women should always feel utterly present Mm -hmm. and, and present and recognized. So... That it's just it's not a it's an it's where you're at in your head, isn't it? It's yeah. not just how old you are. I completely agree with that. God, that's a good quote. Through your work, and this is to your point, through your work, we have witnessed firsthand the really transformative powers of fashion and beauty. And that's not just a physical transformation. It is. It, it's in your mind. It's your mm-hmm. confidence. Mm-hmm. In as little or as much detail as you wish, what do you think it is about the right outfit, a great lipstick, even a new haircut that makes people feel so different? I mean, I think sometimes it can be more transformative than going to the therapist three times a week mm-hmm. because I think sometimes I've been down that path and you can get so caught up in your head that you can't just let go and be objective. Yeah. And the release of being able to... Not put on a set of armor, because I don't think we should feel we're in a battle in life. Yeah. But just to be able to feel good about yourself. So, you know, sometimes other people need to help you get there. But if you, you know, stand naked in front of a mirror and think, what do I love? And some Mm. women know what they love. And some women cannot see the wood for the trees. But Mm -hmm. really, if you can't see the wood for the trees, look and think, you know, do I have beautiful hands? Have I got lovely eyes? Do Mm -hmm. I have great legs and a lovely ankle? You know, and what you might loathe about your body, somebody else might love. So Mm. really try and see what you love and then always feel you show that off. And what you don't like, hide. But don't Mm hide other things so a classic thing women do that I that I make over is they might hate their tummy so they tent themselves from their boobs down and Mm -hmm. they forget oh my god there's a lovely waist there wanting to get out yes and then what they do is when they look at themselves they sometimes look down so they just see 
the bumps, but nobody comes right up to your cleavage and looks down mm. and says, oh, look at those wobbly bits. They look at you from two, you know, two feet away. Mm. And so you need to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and never look close, close. Take two steps back mm-hmm. and just say, let's look at the whole thing. Let's not, we're so good as women at focusing in on, oh, that spot or, oh, that tummy or, oh, those, those mm-hmm. big calves. Just try and, if your head is doing that, say, stop it, you know. It's that whole thing of, you know, you would never talk to your best girlfriend like that. So no. why are we speaking to ourselves yeah. like that? No, but we can do that as women. Mm. Yeah. We're unfair. So it was after over 20 years in the fashion industry that you launched Trini London, October yeah. 2017. What was the catalyst? Suzanne and I worked together for about 17 years. Mm-hmm. And I think we got to a stage where we both wanted to do something different. She's yeah. still my best friend, but... It was more, I'd always wanted to have my own business Mm -hmm. and I'd always loved, you know, I'd always loved makeup. I love the transformation women felt Mm -hmm. with makeup and not the caking on and heavy baking base, but just that sense of not feeling tired. You know, Mm -hmm. a woman looks in the mirror and says, I feel tired. So if I could give her that feeling of I feel great Mm -hmm. and give her a very easy way to do it. And I used to get all different makeup and I would mix it together to get the right colors or the right formulas and I put it in these little pots and stack uh-huh. them and when I was still doing the next show the one like the one we did in Australia Trinsali yes. Makeover the Makeover Mission and I was doing that in 16 countries around the world and I always wanted everything with me so I decanted the stuff brought it with me and I would be in a random bathroom and a woman I'd be doing my makeup with my little stack mm-hmm. and a woman say what's that and I'll go it's my makeup and the next thing obviously is where can I buy it and I would be as I'm hitting my head, <laughs> by the way. Um, and think, oh. And so when we kind of both, Suzanne wanted to write a book and I really wanted to start the business, mm. I then thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And two people had a great inspiration. Because as a woman, if you have an idea, the idea can stay in your head and be protected. Yes, you never have can. to, you know, say it won't succeed mm-hmm. or um, I'm scared of, of how people would judge it. So once you get it out on the kitchen table... It's there, warts and all, and you then have to run with it. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing for any woman who has that idea is to have the courage to say, let me get that on the table. Yeah. So I kind of got it out slightly at the side of the table. And (laughs) two friends talked to me. Um, One of them was the, um, she was the head of beauty at Mintel, which is a big research company. Yes. And she was not a hugely close friend, but our daughter went to school together. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know enough about the beauty industry because I didn't know where to start. I thought, how do I get it made, everything. So... Um, she then went off. I was telling her about two different ideas. We can always have two ideas, and it's like, which one we go with? Mm -hmm. So I told her, and I told my daughter's godfather, a guy called Ramsey, and I was telling him about both things. And he called me up the next day and said, Trini, you're wanting to do this thing with your sister about clothing, but you spoke far more passionately about the other one. You should be doing that. That's the real test, isn't it? And then Jane said to me, Trini, I researched on the database of, you know, that she deals with mm. 92% of the beauty companies. And she said, what you talked about, which was personalization, portability, cream-based mm-hmm. product, um, those are three of the five trends for the next five years. You have to do it now. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay. And they both put money in the business oh, um, at the very beginning. And so I raised 150000 and then started that journey of, okay, where do I start? I need to get the colors made. I need to do the formulas. I need to get the packaging done. Mm. And then it began. So where did you start? We spend quite a bit of time on this podcast talking about the process. Because yeah. as you say, there is a, it's a completely different to have this great idea, but then to act on it. 
The process is one where you first of all want to go to the best manufacturers of cosmetics. So that is sure. Italy. And there's different um, factories that make them. So I started with two and I had, I would send them a formula. So I wanted to do a foundation and mm -hmm. I mixed together 20 different things. I said, I want this texture. I want yeah. it to be absorbed in the skin. I want it to be cream based. And I want you to be, you know, you put it in with the oils of your skin and it just becomes a part of your skin. Mm -hmm. So that was going off them doing that. Then I was looking at the fact I wanted to have colors that would be very multi-purpose. So lip to cheeks that could oh, also yeah. go on the eye, you know, things so that you look at the color and you, so think, wearable. you oh. think, where do I want to put it? Yeah. Um, and then I wanted unique formulas, you know, mm -hmm. because p other people have a cream lip to cheek, but I wanted things that were so like a hero product. Yeah. And I'd always wanted to develop something which would go on your skin, change the color of your skin, have SPF, have a bit of glow, but not too much, mm -hmm. which is actually our one of our best sellers, BFF. Yeah. And then Miracle Blur, which is another um, kind of, we sell one every 23 seconds. It's out of stock right 23 now. 23 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh was something God. where I'd always wanted to find a product, and I tried many products that nearly did it, but didn't, like mm -hmm. Benefits Poreless, like Waze, Lady something, but yeah. would fill in scars, pores, mm. and would mattify a bit too, yeah. but have a malleability to not be seen, to be universal in color, so mm -hmm. that in became the Miracle Blur, but that was like 10 backwards and forwards with the formula. So some formulas, they got straight away how to make them, and others, it took forever. So mm -hmm. once you then seal the formula, you then go on to color. Yes. And for me, I'd always felt when I made over, when I did um, not what not to wear, but the mission programs around yes. the world, we'd always have like one week Napoleon, the next week Mac, the next week another brand, mm -hmm. young makeup artists, all, it's a red lip this season, let's put a red lip on everyone. You know, and I was, I would go down when we'd done the clothes, I'd go back downstairs and see all the makeup, literally wipe it all off. And then you know, kind of teach these 20 year old makeup artists and say, look, when you look at a woman, you have to look at the combination of her mm. skin, hair and eye. That's the only way that you can work out the balance of colors that suit her. Yeah. And most women, those three things lead to a predominantly warm combination, a cool combination or a neutral combination. Mm -hmm. So in life to me, neutral combination, you're neutral, all right? Yes. Um, can wear the most colors. I have a warm, very easy life. Yeah, very <laughs> easy life. Warm, have great tricky times with a, a cool red lip mm. and sort of a silvery on their eye. And cool can look dreadful in orangey shades. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that sort of started in my head. And then with Shasha, who was um, the makeup artist who worked with me since she was like 20. Amazing. Um, we then got about 300 women in my oh bathroom. Yeah. And then she continued once I started building the business. And then, then we would do their makeup with the colors and then we'd mark them on a wall where they wow. sat and which colors they suited from the collection. And then from that, we developed the Match to Me algorithm, which helps you to decide which makeup you suit when yes. you go online. We're going to talk more about that very shortly. So obviously there was a lot of back and forth getting the formula and the colors yeah. right. Let's talk about this packaging. You obviously wanted your little pots because that's what you had yeah. used for years. How much back and forth did it take I mean to get this these was, right? I'm going to get one out now. I wish there was a um, visual component to the podcast, I know, but, but we can, we can we'll put it. links so in there. You know, when I had started and I'd done these little Muji pots, they would leak and, and you know, I couldn't do, uh, I needed a one that by itself just would just, you know, be a beautiful thing of joy. So mm -hmm. it was very important. I'm going to do this, but it would click. Oh, this is very good ASMR okay, content. Click. Love it. And then that it would be airtight, mm -hmm. that you would be able to, 
um, put in enough products that we lo- like our foundation lasts a year. Okay, it's Amazing. so densely pigmented, and that when you put it on the stack, it would snap, oh, and it. then when you open it, clicks and snap. So I had the designs, mm-hmm. and we worked forever on the designs with a lovely French guy called Arno, and then we sent them to get done. And I remember the first prototype came back. And it was so rudimentary and basic. I burst into tears because mm. from those lovely 3D drawings, I thought they don't get it. And it took 11 prototypes Ooh. to get there. It was forever worth it. Yeah, because they are yeah. divine. So 11 prototypes. Yeah. How long is that in Time. years and months? That was so. From when I started working on it, it was probably 2015. Uh huh. Um, and then by 2000 and. 16, we had the prototype sorted, so it took a year. Colors took about 18 months. Yeah. Um, so by the halfway through 2016, with well 2016, we did, had done the formulas by, and then colors were the towards halfway through 2000, and uh, yeah, we launched 2017 October. So I'd say by the summer we had all the colors. Very tight time. Wow. Let's talk about the products themselves, because you launched with something to the tune of 50 products. Yes. I mean, I know oh. it's a lot, and, and that's grown to well over seventy now. Yeah, that's seventy nine now, Ooh. and it'll be eighty three in a few weeks. Oh, that's exciting! Um, so it was a question of looking at what were the most important basics mm-hmm. that one could have, and when you start a range, you think. So to me, the most important thing that I before I would do mascara would be skin. Agreed. Because I want just women to have amazing skin. Mm-hmm. I wanted women to be able to choose a foundation the color of their skin. You know, yes. somebody said to me the other day, there's a great new technology which allows you to say, if I'm Chanel Aqua number eight beige, I'd be yours. And I'm like, the reason I wouldn't use that is I want a woman to discover perhaps for the first time mm. to get the color that is her skin. Yes. Because then you won't see the foundation on your skin. That's like the most important thing. And if you want to mm-hmm. bring color into your face, use bronzer or contour or blusher. Yes. So that skin, like I had to get that right. So that was just a touch, which is our foundation concealer. Mm-hmm. And then the BFF, which is your kind of, you could call it tinted moisturizer and primer have a baby together yeah and your spf all thrown in together triplets and then i wanted to have lip to cheeks because i use lip to cheeks so often that had good mm-hmm. pigment so that's our lip to cheek and then i wanted eyes that were cream based i put on with my finger literally without a mirror and yeah. it was kind of one big test for me was to do my makeup without a mirror because i had many years before when i wrote about beauty i met trish mcroy and i remember the circumstance under which i met her she said wanted to meet me because i'd written some things and she'd had great success and they kind of like talking about me right she was at the barclay hotel in london so she said come and see me and i remember walking in the door and she just had a facelift she'd flown on the plane her husband's a plastic surgeon literally in the band she goes look at my face Trini. isn't it incredible <laughs> and i'm like my god this woman and at the time she was very innovative. She brought out that Filofax concept. Mm. There were some interesting things there. And she said, I want to teach you to do your makeup without a mirror. Mm-hmm. And she did. And I remembered it so well. And I think it's like dressing a bit. But when you have a face in the mirror, you have to think, how can I camouflage what I don't want to see when it's mm. fully visible? Mm-hmm. And how can I actually feel my face? Because if you put blusher on just looking in the mirror, 
it's better if you feel where your bone structure is putting yes. it on. It's better if you feel, I'm now pressing my fingers, feel your brow bone. So when you're doing your eye, just lift up your, if you're slightly over 40 and you might have that sort of hoodie eye or droopy eye, you lift up your brow and you put your colour on with safety starting in the middle of your brow bone and works gently left to right. And then when you drop your eyebrow, it won't be in the wrong place. So... Mm-hmm. That was key for me to have products that would be that easy to do. So eyes, very important. Ease of use really is at the core of the brand, which is evident, obviously, on listening to you speak. But also if we watch any of your social media videos, they're amazing. I want to talk a bit about social media because I love everything you are doing with Trini London. And I think I haven't seen a brand use social media in the same way that you do. Thank you. The first is social media as a marketing tool. I think that trends are changing, but the majority of brands are still using these kind of glossy airbrushed photos. Mm. Am I right in saying that your approach to social media is more about education? Well, it started with when I was doing photography for the site, which is not just one model in 19 looks. Mm -hmm. I wanted real women, so we did a shout-out on Facebook, and I had already a bit of a following on Facebook. Yeah. And we got these women in, and we photographed them. And getting them used to a camera was was really tricky. So Mm -hmm. I had Chloe, who's my lovely Friday twinning, and she would be, smile, smile. Love it. And so I wanted also to not touch up pictures. So if somebody had, you know, a sort of, the only things we touch up probably are if they have a hair that's gone across. But yeah. generally, we try not to touch up pictures that much. And so that was kind of very important. So in a way, social media then extended from that. Because when we started Trini London, I already had a following, which was growing mm. a little bit. And I wanted those women to be on. And I'd always done everything through video. I did, when I first started Instagram 2015, I did a year of uh, photography, but then I went into film because I'm mm. very comfortable and I go and see Facebook and they said, you know, just go home and film, Trini. That's what you're used to doing. Yeah. And so I sort of found this audience. I found the old one not to wear ladies and I found other, you know, their Amazing. daughters and stuff. And I just, you know, when we started growing Trini London and sometimes, because I have a very young social media team and they might say, well, let's do a lovely still life with, you know, a pretty modely girl. And I'm like, no, nah. you know, we, we just can't do that. Not on brand. Not on brand. <laughs> so it sometimes looks mucky. It's not, it's not a pure, um, you know, it's not a sort of pure play, but it's engaging. And I think the word engagement is very tricky on social media because how you quantify engagement is really, yes. you know, engagement to me is the amount of women who will comment and you, they've been, you've inspired them to do something. Mm. That's engagement to me when you, get a woman to feel a shift by something she watches. Mm. And if you watch something that moves as opposed to a photograph, you will feel more engaged. So we do a lot of lives. We do a ton of Instagram TV. Mm. And when Instagram TV first came out, I thought, this is great. I can do... I was always rushing to do my minute on Instagram. Yes. Okay, and like, get it all in a minute. Like so me with stories, I talk in a 15-second... Yeah, so it's like, yeah, but, mm. uh, but I wanted longer because I, I can chat, as you can tell, I can chat, chat, chat. I love it. And so we did these um, Instagram lives and we were very little then. We had like 40,000 people on Trinity London and I had maybe, I don't know, how many had like 350,000 people or something on, on my own. And over about sort of six weeks, nine million views across those two by doing Instagram wow. uh, IGTV and I'd gone to see them and they'd said, you know, at the moment, what we're doing is we're promoting IGTV. So what it did, which I found the most interesting in terms of marketing a brand, is you kind of have your feed. 
And yeah. when somebody subscribes to Instagram, they become a fan. Yeah. And stories, no, they become a follower. And if they follow you on stories, they've become a fan. Mm-hmm. But if they follow you on IGTV, they've become a super fan. Love so it. your existing audience are super fan watching you on IGTV. But because we did so much content, we went a lot on the explore page mm. on Instagram. So instead of the comments, which would have been, which eye to eye you using is that wisdom with that great knowledge that they followed you a lot like a super fan. We had somebody leaving a comment saying, who is this and what is this makeup and where can I buy it? And it was an opportunity you could get to an outlier so far Mm. removed from where your marketing might feel it should take you Mm. that you could get people to discover me or Trini London in a really different way. So I find that, you know, if we were 20 years ago, you would pay a lot of money to an ad agency and a media agency. And you'd say, you know, it's a drop in the ocean. You'd be on the tube and you mm. know, it's like who would see it, who would be relevant for your brand. Yeah. And now there's an opportunity through Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, through boosting content to find the audience that has already responded positively and mm. amplify that audience. So to start a brand now online, I think it's easier to get mm. to an audience, even for me, because most of the brands that do really well online have a, the glossiers and you know, line count, you know, those mm. kind of younger brands where their whole audience is online. So I think I love the fact that I have a lot of women who are down, going down the path of life, as my yep. friend <laughs> Julie Hunter says, and um, they love Instagram. Mm. Some of them say, you know, where's that from? And I say, read the description. They don't know how to drop down and read the description yet. So oh, a lot of it's it is an education. I get that. With oh, okay. Women in their <laughs> 20s, I think some people just okay. don't read. Yeah. While we're on social media, you've talked about how engaged your audience is and I, you know, the same definition of engagement. I fully believe that. And your following feels more like a community than it Mm. does just a list of people that have hit follow, aptly named the Trini Tribe. Yes. (laughs) I would love your take on this because social media does get a bit of a bad rap sometimes. So how have you managed to cultivate such an uplifting and empowering community? I think that in some instances for that kind of community to live and have their own voice, Facebook is a better medium than Instagram Mm -hmm. because it has an opportunity for them to leave comments and follow threads and Instagram more, you're you're all responding to one person who's setting the tone. Right. So I think what happened was some ladies who followed me on Trini Woodall went and followed um, Facebook Trini London and then they called themselves Trini Tribers. So Mm -hmm. we love that name. So they started a page and they took my logo and they put it on and they just started a community. Yeah. And we just saw these popping up and then I thought, this is amazing. These women, I think they had been, you know, I'd started a conversation for them on something and they wanted to continue that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it drew women who wanted to feel positive about life Mm. because we have very, very, very little trolling on any of the Trini Tribe sites. Mm. It's really this community of incredibly supportive women. So we now have 26. We have 13,000 members of Trini Tribe across the world. And they are tremendous. I've met many of them in different places. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at the project, a lot of them got tickets to the project. Oh, yes, I heard. And they were all in the audience. And the guys, you know, Simon Feed was saying, this is the best audience ever that we've had oh. on the project. And I said, well, half of them are. And, but they, they look out for each other. They mm. have meetups. And, and I think a really interesting thing, which I, I contemplate a lot, is my phone doesn't ring like it used to. 
mm-hmm. because people communicate with me through DMing or through messaging or WhatsApp. Yes. So, you know, we just, it's easier then to communicate on your own time, you know, and so people yes. sometimes think I won't, my sister calls, my partner calls, a Lila calls me, but that's, and my assistant and people in the office, but that's sort of it. Mm. But the another thing which I think is interesting is we all grow up with a friendship group. And if you yeah. grow up in your generation, a lot of those friends you might not see, you still see through Facebook. Yes. Women more in my generation, they grow up with a certain set of friends who love them, know them really well, but will judge them nearly like a sister can judge you. Mm. And sometimes if they have a sort of a kind of, you know, rebirth of themselves for some reason or another, they get divorced or they have a life change ex- mm. circumstance. They sometimes think I'd quite like women in my life who are meeting me as a woman I am today, mm-hmm. not the woman who my friends might love but judge or make allowances for or not. Right. And so I think what's quite appealing as well is they meet women who feel they want to have positive energy, yeah. will want to chat about skincare, makeup, beauty, clothing, whatever conversations I start. And and they get new friends in their life mm. that then become physical friends. They're not just online friends because they'll have the meetups and then they'll have mm. coffee and then they'll chat. And that's more, it's not more exciting than Trini London because Trini London has allowed that to happen. But if I could sort of think, you know, what's on the gravestone kind of thing, it's that moment of feeling, making f- women feel the best they can possibly feel. Mm. That That's my, my food. <laughs> you know, that yeah. really is my food and, and makes me feel good. And when... Women can come up and I had some, I went to an event on Saturday night in Bronte. Mm-hmm. My brother lives in Bronte and um, it was a, a party um, for raising money for the, um, the um, you know, the lifesavers. Yes. And these women all came up and my sister-in-law had introduced me to lots of people and I mm-hmm. couldn't remember who everyone was. So I presumed they all had met me before, but it's more that they felt they could chat to me like I'm a friend. So and nice. it's, it's one of my nicest things I've got out of my career, mm. I think, is that a woman can come up and, you know, there was a woman there that evening who, you know, just, I was rearranging her and she said, oh, I had a mastectomy. But she told me very easily, I don't know if she told other friends so easily, mm-hmm. but that she felt she could tell me that. And I could just say, well, let's move it and make it look gorgeous because celebrate yeah. it now. You had a reconstruction surgery. Make it look good. Bring in your waist, you know. Mm. Just that opportunity to be yeah. able to engage with a woman intimately very quickly is fantastic. I think for people to feel that comfortable around you, that obviously speaks volumes about your character. Well, I'm a, I can also be a dreadful terror in my workforce too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a very hard taskmaster. Well, you kind of have to be when you're running a you business. Kind of, I mean, we're now 50 people and it's really grown. And, you know, we have the people that were around the kitchen table at the beginning in 2017 mm. and there were like 12 of us in an old f- house I rented. And... You know, you'd get up from the table and somebody would take your seat. I had meetings yep. in the loo all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember I had to get life insurance policy. It's called a key man insurance policy. And I, I remember the guy interviewed me. I said, we have to go to the loo. There's nowhere else to <laughs> So we went from that to this really big office. I went today to see Zoe, um, mm-hmm. the lady who has go-to skincare. Yes. And she had this, like, it was like the intern, this new office. And I went, and I saw all the girls. And I literally went around and chatted to all the girls. And I just said, in six months you won't have that whole desk if you grow as yeah. quickly as you should grow as a business, you know, because it's like it grows. And when you're doing something mm. in this day and age and you have an online brand, you know, if you if you get that momentum, they really grow. So we had a beautiful office we moved into in March, mm. which now it's two to a desk already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
How yeah. amazing though. You touched on the difference in the way that people from different generations kind of have their friendship groups and the different ways that they use social media. Mm-hmm. You have a teenage daughter mm-hmm. and I think teenage girls have an interesting relationship with social media. So I'm interested in your take on perhaps the beauty influences that she is watching and looking up to. I mean, it's a tricky one because I think on one hand, social media is very good. Lila goes to a boarding school. Yeah. And so she has friends from her primary school. And if she didn't have social media and being an only child, so she'll be at home Mm -hmm. and not have to have somebody over, but be able to have a fun time and they'll look through their cupboard together and they'll do things as if they were there together. So physically they can't be there together. It gives her that opportunity to not feel lonely or, Mm. you know, it's just says, I think there's some really good things about social media and Lila hasn't had cyberbullying or anything. So she Mm. just sees it. Snapchat obviously is that kind of always holding up the camera and and just, but she, it hasn't, maybe now she'll check herself out in the camera, but it was just emotion. It wasn't a vanity. And you've got to Mm. see that little difference. Yes. It's a way of life. And we might judge it thinking you hold a mirror up to yourself too much. My mother would have said the mirror will crack your so vain, you know. I've heard that from my mother. (laughs) (laughs) To this very day. My mother would say the wind will change. Yes, I get that as well. Same generation. (laughs) And um, so those things, it was really, it's really key to to get a happy balance in Mm. the two. And with Lila, I feel sometimes that people she looks onto, like James Charles or Charles James, this guy in America, you know, who's who's a man wearing a lot of makeup Mm. in a a nearly drag queen way to me. Just just no offense, drag queens, because I love drag queens, but just so much makeup. Yes. A lot of the techniques are the same. And a lot lot of techniques are the same, Mm. exactly. So, and I've met, like I met an amazing man in New York who's um, a drag queen and did incredibly beautiful makeup yeah. you know because their attention to detail because oh, it's, it's like art. they're a makeup artist mm. that you know they 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 perform but they are a makeup artist you've got to be a good makeup artist to be a drag queen um but lila watches it for the humor sure i yeah. think and she watches it for the drama mm-hmm. and for the next drop on youtube so she's not somebody who will look at a youtube video and and study that makeup technique and do it on her mm. own eyes. It's more his life is a bit mad. Yeah. But there are other girls where they do that. And I've, I've, in my, we do this, this thing we just started on one of our channels, which is a, it's called, um, it's called Rethink Your Routine. Yeah. And we kind of do a happening. We pop up in the Zara I always go to in London, in Duke mm-hmm. York Square, and we just set up our makeup and Love wait till it. the police move us on. And we just, whoever <laughs> comes up, we just say we're going to be there at 12 and maybe 100 people are there. And we just do their makeup. Because I just like that freedom it mm. gives you. And so there were these three girls, two girls with their mum from Belfast. And they came with that perfect baked face. You know, they were maybe 18. Mm-hmm. They'd maybe done a really full on look just to come and see me. Mm-hmm. And I said, girls, I want to take it all off and make you under. Yeah. And I was very nervous because a girl at that age, you've got to be so careful not to Absolutely. take away her confidence, armor, makeup mm. moment. And so we took it all off and it was th- there was a whole story about how many cotton buds it took, sorry, to take off her makeup. It was like 20 you oh know, things taken off. But we put it on enough that she felt good, but you could see her. It's so important. And she liked it. I mean, the relief that she liked, you know, I'm scared to put out the mirror and she'll go, I've got no makeup on. But she was like, she was like, actually, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I 
it like that? And her mother's going, I like it. And then her sister went, it's really nice, Bethany. And I just thought, fantastic. You know, oh. I would love to go around the world doing that with a woman. Do you think you will? I don't know. I mean, I just, this trip is like, you know, a, I've been wanting to come to Australia for so long because mm. I, I love Australia and I've always had the best time here. And whenever I've come here, I've worked, you know, when I did the show I did mm. here, we ha- were here for 29 days and I worked for 28 days. Oof. I mean, it was really like... Yeah. And this week, I'm, you know, a lot of the Trini oh, uh, followers are saying, are you going to be in a Mecca? I'm so excited. And I mm. said, no, I'm launching the site yes. in dollars and I'll give free shipping today and I'll do a much better shipping rate. But I do believe that you can buy my makeup online. You don't need to go and see it. You really don't. So that's, um, you know, I will do this as we grow as a brand and we ship internationally. So we probably have, you know, 10,000 Australian customers already. Mm. But I wanted to say, let's take a country that I can go to in a contained way, yes. do a week of press. I'm doing a mm. Trini Tribe event. People got tickets for it. Amazing. And do that on Thursday. And see, can I do a country that way? You know, And, mm. and if this works, and it's a, it's a challenge, and I brought two members of my team, it's for us a big budget to do this, to bring ourselves all out, to yes. you know, do all that stuff. Um, mm. Then I'll do it next year in America. Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned that you really can buy the products online, and I think that that tech element is yet another point of difference. I'm just reeling off all of the points <laughs> of difference. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk about that tech side. You touched on the Match to Me technology. Talk it me took a it. long time because we took all those 500 women and we put them into a database and we built an algorithm which would go and it sort of populates it's a weird thing when you look at it because it populates in there's clusters so there's clusters of women who you know predominantly in our market there'll be a strong cluster of maybe a sort of blonde brunette hair with a peaches and creamy skin and a blue eye that's a that's a cluster for us yeah. and then there's a cluster of a brunette there's a caramel cluster of a light brown skin so you have clusters and what we did is we photographed as many women as we could mm-hmm. with all different skin hair and eye combinations so Amazing. on the trini tribe models which is different from the trini tribe got to change the name <laughs> there's 83 of them at the moment so mm-hmm. whenever you look you d- you go on and you put in your skin hair and eye and yeah. when you're doing everyone knows their eye color yes so it's quite simple most people, sorry, a poster just fell. Most people and know. And it's such a shame because it's very beautiful. I know. <laughs> I got to put Mary back up later. Oh, um, and oh she's there fallen she right goes. down. Um, most of the um, eye colours, yeah, the eyes are easy. Hair is easy. You're mm-hmm. a brunette. Are you warm brunette, cool brunette? You know. Yeah. And then skin. So how people, it's like you go to the hairdresser and you say, I'm, I, my tint's too warm. To the hairdresser, it mm-hmm. might not be that they see warmth. So it's yeah. very subjective. So what we do is we have these women there and they've done a video describing their skin. So ah. my skin is peaches and cream light. That means that I can go in the sun for 20 minutes before I burn mm-hmm. and that it means that I don't have too much red in my skin, but I don't, I'm not olivey and I don't look grey in the winter. My yeah. skin stays consistent all year. So women go, okay, that could be me. Mm-hmm. And then they've chosen their skin. So we try and make it as easy as possible. So once they have skin, hair, and eye, then it goes, the double T spins around, mm-hmm. and you then get your curated colors that suit you. So of our 89 colors, maybe you'll suit 35 yeah. of the colors. And then you can either just buy them individually, or you go on and you go to stacks, which is how we sell makeup, really. And you say, I want to start a stack, or I want just a smoky eye stack. Mm-hmm. And you then have a little... S- 
empty pots and you click on the color and Amazing. it fills the pot. Mm. Um, and then we got another incredibly exciting bit of technology that will come probably at the beginning of next year Ooh. or in sort of February, March, which is the sort of next stage to that for me um, of mm. making it so simple that you literally would never need to go into a shop. It's amazing. I think what you've done so well is that you've shown that beauty really is for everyone. We There was once a time when the ideal, in inverted commas, of beauty was kind of decided by the multinationals and then there's yeah. brands like Trini London coming along and saying, no, this is for everyone. Yeah. Why do you think so many brands are still so reluctant to showcase age diversity, size, colour in their marketing? I think because it costs to do that. Okay. And I think when you, you know, we did this kind of brand identity thing after we launched the brand, but I got a new marketing girl in. She said, it's important to do because you want to know that when a circumstance comes up, how will you act in that mm. as a brand? So um, I had you know, decided we would do 14 shades of foundation, which really, if you look at Fenty Beauty, it has 40. Yeah. It's not everything, but I wanted to go from A to Z and then know that you could use other things if it wasn't exactly right, but wanted to start with also the budget of what I could afford yes. while stretching to cover from porcelain to a dark brown skin. Mm. But definitely there were things that I thought when I have more money, I can fill in both ends, actually. Yeah. You know, sort of around my end, there's probably one between me and Zandy, which could be brought in. So I'm going to bring in another five shades. Amazing. Or actually, six, so it take us to 20. Mm -hmm. And then I feel I've covered every shade. And then I think age diversity is less recognized than skin color diversity. Yeah. And to me, that is nearly the more important one because I don't like any woman to feel that she's invisible to a mm. product. And so I want a woman to think that could be for me and I can use it. And, yeah. and you know, there's old wives tales like when I'm older, I shouldn't wear red lipstick or I shouldn't mm. um, wear, uh, you know, it will make my teeth look yellow or, you know, I have to do the black eyeliner or I can't do anything else. So it's just to mm. let them know there is something that can make them look, or oh, I shouldn't use shimmer eyeshadow. You know, like I'm yeah. over 40 and I have like crap. Sorry. But oh, no, you, know, you can swear okay, on thank this. Thank you. <laughs> so, so just those to break down those barriers that are set up by God knows who. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of work still to be done in this whole sense of for everyone. You yes. Know, because you'll also have in a range, you know, because I am white mm. and I am going to be bought predominantly by people who feel they identify most with me as a founder because I'm so involved in the brand. Yeah. You could look at Rihanna and think, is Fenty Beauty bought by everyone or is there suddenly that sense by a woman who's caramel to a dark brown skin that here is a brand that really I identify with. So yeah. Iman did it and then Fenty came along. In between, mm. you know, Pat McGrath has obviously now done it, but yeah. Pat McGrath, very much, I wouldn't... Fenty, I would say more... Oh, you know, if you're darker skin tone, you're going to mm. say, I, she's there for me. Yes. Pat, she's so international. And if you're somebody who loves catwalk glamour, mm. you know that Pat will, you'll, you'll be appealed by Pat because you'll know how cultish she is. Yes. Okay, so that's a different thing. So when you make, you know, um, a range, mm. so if I look at, this gets into real detail, but I look at like yeah. Trintron, which is one shade of foundation. So we've sold maybe 20,000. Yeah. Um, uh, Oprah, mm -hmm. I've sold 
a hundred. Right. Okay. So, so I will make still a minimum amount of everything. Mm-hmm. And it could be that I throw out before they're sold the darker shades. Now there's two yeah. things I ask myself as a founder. How can I let women of different skin tones know that they can feel I have a brand for them. First of all, to feel, have I got every shade that they would then feel the shade is there for me? So I know both ends, actually. Mm-hmm. The more with skin. So if you feel a brand has got skin totally covered, then you trust them more on color. Sure, Okay. yeah. So for me, all my color suits every skin tone mm-hmm. because I'm my skin, hair, and eyes. Um, and as you grow as a brand and your minimums you don't need to do anymore, you're mm-hmm. actually ordering 10 times your minimums, yeah. then you can afford to expand your color range more. But then you, you know, I need to know that for me, I I don't want anyone to feel they have to stop at the gate. So I will just say, that's just going to, you know, it might be financially. And this was that little thing in that brand building. Mm. So the, the phrase we have is, even to the detriment of my balance sheet, I wouldn't not do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's wording is incorrect. But so I had an example of, I had this brush that I brought out called the Super. Do I have it here? Here it is. Sorry, I'm just But I wanted a brush that was stackable, portable, like my kit. Yes, and a portable so I brush. Ever doing the pattern, getting. It's a very interactive podcast. End. It's a magnetic brush, so it does. This. Oh, that made a nice sound. And there's three of them together. Yep. Oh, I love um, this. And it's just everything you need on the go. So mm. if you don't want to do a strong lip with your finger, you can use the brush. Oh, so heaven. I was so excited. Spent forever launched pre-launched it in september mm-hmm. and um we sent it to the trini tribers because we did a pre-launch with them yeah so after four days and i had had it for a while i noticed some of the silver fog come off on my fingers and i was like Uh-oh. oh my god you know this is 28 pounds it's not two pounds yeah so i then thought oh and i kind of thought okay so then we had to solve the problem we had an american company made it for us and she was amazing mm-hmm. she does a, she's a huge brush company but she was so professional because i said this is like so detrimental to somebody who's come to me trusted me and then had this yeah. so then she said i'm going to recall them all whatever so i then wrote a letter to the people who had bought it and i said you know it didn't live up to the standard i want so I didn't say I'll refund you because financially for me that would have been... Yeah. So I said, when I've got the new one, I'll send you a new replacement. So we just Amazing. last week sent a replacement to all of them. Mm-hmm. So that was where that little thing that you put in your mission statement of, you know, to the... Even if it costs you, it's really important for you to always have integrity with your customer. Mm. And that's the daily challenge for everything like that, for diversity in any way, is how can you strive for that? Mm-hmm. Beauty and fashion are, of course, inextricably linked. But to go from this career predominantly in fashion and then launch a beauty brand, it's a brave move. What would your advice be to anyone in any industry who is looking to either launch something or to make a change in their career? I think you've got to have people who, to an extent, identify that you have the breadth of experience in whatever you're going to launch. So I think the benefit I had is that I was not known for clothes. I was known for making over women. Yes. And in my books, especially Who Do I Want to Be Today, there were chapters on makeup Mm. and it wasn't just the clothing. So when I stopped working with Susanna and I was doing that social media before I launched the brand, I talked a lot about everything. And it was how can I move on my audience to see that I can 
they can accept that I might have knowledge of that. And when I launched, and I talked about it, and I got sorted, I was so excited, but I didn't say what it was. They, a lot of people thought I would launch skincare because I'd been okay. very obsessed with skincare. And that is our next launch in 2021. Oof. But um, So it's, I think any woman, you've got to feel you're an authority in it. You've got yeah. to feel, even if it's something you're launching that's new, that you can stand behind it and you can really tell a woman why it's it's such a benefit for her to have that in her life. Mm. And if you feel that in every core of your being, it's the right thing to do. And your faith in it will get you um, miles. Sound advice. Fashion and beauty have obviously changed a lot since you began writing the column in 1994. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen within the beauty industry over that time? I think... The biggest change in beauty is that there were the kind of Estee Lauder group companies who dominated 75% yeah. of the department store floors. And then there was a few challenger brands who started with the um, doctor brands. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had that of these independents. Then you had places like Mecca and Space NK in England start, which yes. gave you an alternative to a department store experience. But mm-hmm. that's still premium. Then the next big shift, if you look at MAC being a shift for makeup, The Ordinary was a shift for a consumer without huge amounts of money to, and Timeless actually, which Mm. I love as a brand, Australian brand, but to give a woman a sense, oh, these ingredients, they're, you know, but the thing is, you know, what is alpha arbutin? What is buffer? What is, you know, vitamin C if it's in silicone or in another base? Yeah. What's L-absorbic acid? What form of vitamin C? You know, in a way, it opened women up to understand there's so much more they should be looking at when they're considering what skincare to get. Definitely. But it also confused them even more. Oh, because there's so much misinformation out there. So much misinformation. There. And so, like, uh, the thing I'm asked most is somebody saying, you know, what step do I do them in? Like a lot of ladies mm. still, do I do a, do, can I mix retinol with a vitamin C? Can Do I do my SPF before or after vitamin mm-hmm. C? You know, do I have to clean my skin in the morning? I mean, you, you get, you know, and, yeah. and it's knowing, it's like for you, Gemma, knowing that audience, you've got a woman who doesn't know if she should clean her skin in the morning again, does she need to? The witch's brew on her face that's been hovering overnight, that's been released. Yes, that's got to come off with yep. a cleanser. To... You know, I want to do retinol, but I'm scared it's going to flake my skin. Well, there's actually, there's a palmitate. There's different ones you can do. Yep. You don't have to, it's you know, do. Yeah. So, mm. so I think it's an incredibly exciting time for skincare. Yes. Really exciting. Um, and I think there are some brands. That I like, I prefer Timeless to The Ordinary. Okay. Because I think like the C Ferulic, which is that dupe for skin suticles, is a really good one. And mm-hmm. the vitamin C 30% in silicone by um, The Ordinary is good, but their powder I don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- there's a mixture, but I, I love some of those brands. There's one in England called Inky. I don't rate so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and still a lot of people say, where should I spend my money? Um, you know, and I always say, and I know you're going to agree with them on this, you can get a cheap cleanser, but spend it on vitamin C and retinol and yep. a really good antioxidant or a great niacinamide. You know, mm-hmm. you and the moisturizer can literally be an afterthought. It's just yep. a, like end result. Yep. And hyaluronic, it's diverse. Some I people mean, those, think it's terrible. Those are the steps where you customize your skincare routine. A moisturizer is there to moisturize. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So those are the changes we have seen. Yeah. What changes do you think we can expect to see in the beauty industry in the I coming years? I think that, <laughs> very difficult to say because I'm working on it now, so I don't want to ah. give too much away. But I think we want 
We want simplification, but mm-hmm. we want deep penetration. Yeah, I love you that. Know? Yeah, get that on a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would have many meanings, but you know what I'm saying, <laughs> ladies. Yeah, love it. My final question. Yeah, what's next for Trini London? Well, America in the new year, um, fully properly, and um, skiing. That was Trini Woodall, founder of Trini London, who you can find on Instagram at Trini Woodall or at Trini London. To read my interview with Trini, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts, you've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.